Today we're going to continue in our look at the first letter from Paul to the church in Thessalonica, starting in chapter 2, verse 17, and going through the end of chapter 3. 1 Thessalonians 2, 17. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face, because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass, and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to you to learn about your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you, and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you, and has brought us the good news of your faith and love, and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you throughout your faith. For now we live, if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God? As we pray most earnestly night and day, that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that you, he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your goodness to us, for calling us here together. Um, and we trust uh, that in your word, you will direct our hearts and our minds how to be a part of this life, how to be a part of our community. We ask that you would make us willing, Father, for we confess that we are not really willing to listen to you of our own volition. I pray, Lord, that you would uh, help any words that I say that don't align with yours to be quickly forgotten. We thank you, Jesus, for your work. We love you. Amen. Um, my name is Ben, Ben Lillard. I'm an elder here at Valley Hope, and I've only done this a few times. Um, seems like there are more people every time, which is, which is great. Um, and I hope that you are feeling welcome if you're new here. Uh, this is part of what we're going to talk about today. And here in, um, in Thessalonians, we continue to see Paul's affection for the people that he has worked with. Last week, we saw these metaphors of him feeling kind of like a mother, nursing her child, taking great care of being like a father, exhorting and encouraging his children. Um, and here in, in chapter seven or verse seventeen, we continue to see 
this affection, this affectionate language that he has for the family of God. Um, we don't know exactly what caused Paul to leave the Thessalonians. We don't know why exactly he can't come back to them as expediently as he would like to. Um, but we see these strong words that we were torn away from you in person, not in heart. They endeavored eagerly. They had a great desire to see them face to face. So here, as much as anywhere in Paul's writings, really, we see how deeply Paul's very life is tied to the people that he has served. He loves them genuinely and deeply. Sometimes he gets frustrated with them. Sometimes he has to correct them. He never, never stops loving them. He says here in chapter, verse 19, that they are his joy and his crown of boasting. And, and this crown of boasting, one commentator, David Phillips, has suggested uh, is a term that's used to represent the visiting of a king or an emperor to a city, to a locale. And, and what these people might do, would sometimes have opportunity to do, is to kind of lay this crown, of, this laurel crown or this golden crown of some sort in front of the king or an emperor in and that was their way of saying, hey, you're our king. You're the king of this town. Um, and that's what Paul is doing here. He's saying, you all are for me. And, and really, more deeply, we are for each other. Evidence that Christ is our king together. So these people, they're fruits of the labor that Paul has done. They're evidence of Christ as king. Um, and Paul will tell us, would tell us that this is a labor he would not have known or ever thought to do had it not been for the grace of God. And this is the reality for all of us as family members in, with God is that our, our crowns that we lay before Christ, his crowns and not our own, are not made of earthly materials or wealth or accomplishment. They are made of people. We have crowns made of people. There's an image for you. Um, because Jesus does not ultimately ask us just, what are you doing with your gifts? Uh, what he says is, what are you doing with what I've given you that is blessing others and glorifying me? Paul desperately loves the Thessalonian people. Again, we saw last week, we see elsewhere in his letters, uh, that he has worked hard. He worked hard to not be a material burden to them. He tried, we see here in the reading today, he tried desperately to get back to them and something, something was preventing him. Eventually he sends Timothy to the Thessalonians and that was at some real cost to himself. So looking kind of comprehensively at Paul's writings, more narrowly here in Thessalonians, we might be prompted to say, why does Paul love people this way? Why does he love them so much? Why is he putting so much effort in? Um, and if that's a question that we ask, we should probably are kind of unsurprised as to the answer. Uh, Paul loves people this way because he recognizes that Jesus loves people this way. In uh, the Gospel of John, 
chapter 13, when Christ is getting ready to wash his disciples' feet. Knowing that the time of his death is not far away, John writes that having loved his people who are in the world, Christ loved them to the very end. But why is this love necessary? I think it's, it's important that we examine this because as Christians, we hear these terms, we maybe even think about these ideas so often that really we start taking them for granted. Oh, of course I'm supposed to love people. Of course Jesus loves me. What does that mean and where does that come from? Because frankly, I don't feel that way all the time. And then if this is how Christ loves, if this is how Paul loved, is my love also called to go to extremes? If so, how do I get a love like this? One reason we see for uh, the necessity of such love is the presence of affliction. Uh, Calvin will say that there is no reason why believers should feel dismayed on occasion of persecutions, as though it were a thing that was new and unusual, inasmuch as this is our condition, which the Lord has assigned to us. As Paul says here, we are destined for this. And I'm not looking to expound much upon suffering, uh, but to, to point out that Paul's position, which is consistent with Scripture, which was consistent with Christ's example, is that we should expect to suffer. And this is a pretty different take than what our modern world will tell us. There are just a couple of things that I'll point out that we do, um, or that our modern culture tells us to do, when affliction comes our way. The first thing is we feel kind of surprised, right? Like, I shouldn't be suffering. Why, why am I suffering? Um, and then we, we start to say, well, this is, this is kind of unfair. Uh, we might even say it's unjust. Granted, there are lots of things that are unjust. Um, and I'm not looking necessarily to comment on those, but what I'm saying is that we default to, I should not suffer, and my suffering is not my fault. It's your fault, or someone else's fault. But what we know, what Paul is telling us in this age of already and not yet, is that we will suffer. We should expect to suffer. And I would ask you, what has been helpful to you in times of suffering, in sickness, healing or recovering from a surgery, dealing with the loss, maybe, of a loved one, of a parent, of a child, of a spouse, uh, drowning in depression or anxiety. Is it not true that very nearly the only thing that seems to be of any help is the genuine and deep love of other people as a grace from God? So we see this necessity of this kind of extreme love in the presence of affliction. This is what Paul's laying out here. But how do we get it? How do we get love like that? Like I said earlier, I don't feel it. And if you're like me, you can remember a time. I can remember a time when I was a person who did not feel that. That was a foreign feeling to me. 
And if you and I are like Paul, we'll say that there is no satisfactory answer to where that thing came from than the grace of God. And this grace is the gift of faith in Jesus. This is why Paul says that he sent Timothy to learn about their faith. He wanted to make sure that they weren't getting confused, that they weren't being tempted to other ideas. Paul writes also that Timothy was sent to establish and to exhort them in their faith. How throughout the history of the church, we see faith being built up very specifically, being strengthened by what we call the ordinary means of grace, the word, prayer, the sacraments. And there's no, there's no adding to these consecrated um, fountains of mercy and grace. But what we see also is that relationship, presence with one another, lifting up and encouragement is also not just hugely beneficial to the building up of the faith community, but it really is necessary. So what's my point here? Um, that we should follow after Paul's example, that we should be intimately involved in one another's lives, that we should care deeply enough even to the point of making this examination of our faith, of our own, mine of yours, yours of mine, of our families, this examination of faith should be a regular part of our lives. That might sound uncomfortable, weird. What is he talking about? Am I gonna get grilled by someone? Um, maybe it's just a little too personal, a little too dogmatic. I don't really wanna go there. Um, but with this, and we care about each other's faith because we love one another. And we love one another because we have been given faith. Um, for the nine plus years that my wife Tiffany and I have been at Valley Hope, uh, this has been a hallmark of our church. Thank God. Um, and it's something that we saw within the first couple of weeks that we visited. Some of you have heard me say this, that we saw very quickly the centrality of the gospel in the sermons and the services, and we saw and heard stories immediately of this gospel-driven community together. Uh, we are grateful for that. Eyesight, Valley Hope, Swannanoa Valley, we're all called Valley Hope now, so I'll just say Valley Hope. We are a people who have been marked by this. And we ought to be grateful for that and look intentionally at how to continue that. Um, and this is one of the primary ways that our love, that your love, looks different than the, different, uh, than the love of the world. Uh, the world tells us that love is basically me giving you space to do you. Do what makes you happy. Seek what makes you happy. Because basically, as, as long as you're not hurting one, anyone else, it's all good. Uh, but this pursuit uh, of a self-centered love is really a false freedom for you and I. The wreckage of a life so lived accumulates in, until you have these unscalable walls and find yourself isolated and alone. The love of God that we have received by faith seeks the ultimate good of one another. 
which is salvation and holiness and life with Jesus. Our love as the people of Christ is one in which you and I would consider and act upon the wants and the needs and the holiness of each other more than we do for ourselves. That I would care more about how you are doing. That I would pay more attention in some ways to your faith and your holiness than my own. And Paul says, for now we live. For now we live. This, my brother and my sister, this is, this is life. Standing steadfast in the faith and the love of Jesus in the midst of affliction, in times of ease, uh, and lest, lest we be tempted to move toward proving ourselves, to begin believing that we need only to care about the right thing and to try well enough. Maybe sprinkle a little bit of Jesus talk in there. We are here and now founded and fed together by the word and by prayer and by the Lord's table. Because the costly self-giving that Paul lays out for us, that we maybe start to believe that we are to practice like a nursing mother caring for her child, like an encouraging father, a servant, willing to go above and beyond and even suffer for one another. This is not happening if it's up to me. The awful and disgusting truth is that left to my own volition, I would not love any of you more than I love myself. I would not even love you as much as I love myself. But the wonderful and beautiful truth that we find ourselves in is that we are not gathered together because we have together chosen, or maybe individually chosen, in our minds or our lives to assent to some ideal. We're not gathered together because we have um, acquiesced to something greater than the self. We're not hoping that maybe we have the wisdom to pass on to our kids that if we look at this thing the right way, if we teach our kids to live this certain way, like maybe somehow we improve the world. Maybe we save humanity, save the earth. Because newsflash, we humans have a terrible track record at improving anything long term. Your goal and my goal should not be what the culture tells us, to be the best version of yourself, to be your best self. I don't even know where that phrase came from, but I know I've heard it and seen it. Um, our culture tells us, and, and sometimes we unknowingly adopt this idea that what we owe each other or the world is just to be, be our best selves. I'll make a good life for myself and maybe somewhere, somehow I can help someone else. But God's story of the world tells us that we are not so intelligent, we are not so strong, so powerful or good or well-intentioned to accomplish such a thing. What we see, in fact, in the world is that individuals taking this mindset that I need to be my best self, and then maybe some other people are helped along the way, is actually destructive to community because ultimately it is self-centered. 
because you and I, again, are never so well-intentioned as we think. Rather, we're gathered up here together, not by our own might, not by our own will, but gathered by the triune God who has eternal commun- <clears throat> excuse me, community within himself as the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. He has called us to himself and he has marked us as his. He has changed us in a way that none of us could have foreseen, could have accomplished, so that we are left in all crying glory. There is no other satisfactory answer to this change, to me being changed alone, or any one of you, much less our being gathered together like this, than that we have been made children of God by the work of Jesus. And let me encourage you that in standing together, we're not huddled, huddled together, trying to shy away from the world. We're not turned with our backs against one another, shielding, shielding each other from every possible angle. Because we're not in a defensive position. We're not slaves of sin, but we are servants of Christ the King who has accomplished his victory already. God is not hoping that his plan works. He is God Almighty, and in his eternal knowledge and power, his plan must work. There is no question that Christ is king, that we are afflicted momentarily by the remnants of the enemy. We will not die because Christ has defeated death for you and for me. This is the faith that Paul and Timothy are teaching. This is the faith that acts as a root and a stem flowering into love. In this means of grace, in this sharing of community together, our lives being in and made up of one another, we see in each other the truth of what we profess, that Christ is alive, that he has defeated death, that he has dominion over the grave, and therefore he has the ability to change us as people. He has done it with me, he has done it with you, and he is doing it still. The good news of the gospel is that it is not our faith or our love that we depend on. We cannot manufacture such things with our miserable resources. It is the faith of Jesus, his faith given to us. It is the love of Jesus given to us. The eternal God unchanging, having humbled himself into human form and even death on a cross. So great is his faith and his love to show us how we might live thus, to enable us to live this way. And you might be sitting here just saturated in an awareness that this kind of faith and love and community, self-sacrifice, this is just not what you have experienced. Um, That what I've described has not been the church life that you have been in. You may have been hurt by the church, felt unwelcomed, 
uninvited. And if this is you, I am truly sorry. I am sorry that people who have bore the name of Christ have not extended his life-changing love to you. You may have experiences outside of the church. Hurt that has caused you to isolate yourself uh, for protection. Maybe you're hoping people just look at me as an introvert and that, that works. Maybe you're disguising your hurt in your extrovertedness. Um, and you just don't want to be hurt again, so you can't be vulnerable. If any of this has happened to you in Valley Hope, I am more truly and deeply sorry. I hope it has not. If it has, I would ask you to let one of the elders know so that we can come alongside you. Maybe all of this, let's be in life together, let's like check on each other's faith, let's serve each other. Maybe you're just like, I don't care. I don't really, I'm not really up for being in someone's life like that. I certainly don't want anybody else in my life like that. Maybe you've experienced this intimacy with God and with community and somehow found yourself not there anymore. Uh, as the song says, we are prone to wander, aren't we all? Aren't we all prone to wander from the God who loves us and who we love? You could be sitting here wondering about this kind of love, this community of faith, uh, thinking maybe it sounds too good to be true. Maybe I thought that I had it before, but now I don't seem to have it anymore. Um, and maybe your heart's broken by that. Maybe your heart is broken because you feel like you do have that and you see your family member your child, or your spouse, or your parent, your neighbor, your friend, and you just wish that they could be a part of that kind of community. Wherever you are on that, be assured that Jesus loves you. You have ended up here in this room today with these people in this room because God is beckoning you to himself. Because the Father is calling you to come close and to let him hold you. And not only does he hold us, but he hugs us. And he talks with you. And he will show you the other children that Jesus has brought to play with you. If today you find yourself wanting this, wanting Jesus to be this kind of person There really is no reason to wait. He has been waiting for you. He has been expecting you. He is ready for you. He will never let you down. So we are not meant to be lonely and we are not destined for loneliness. So let us together be each other's crowns of boasting, of joy and of thanksgiving to the Father. Let me pray for us. Father, what, what a wonder that you would call us, that you would call me your child. What a wonder 
that you would bring a bunch of people who are broken just like me together to call brothers and sisters to be a part of your family by the work of Jesus. May we not take this for granted. May we appreciate it. May we appreciate one another. Would you encourage us to exhort and to love one another? Would you encourage us to be bold enough to go out into the community like we saw Aaron and Amy talking about, to say, where would you have me to go that they do not have this kind of community, that they do not have this kind of love? Father, would you give us wisdom to have those conversations with people? Jesus, we thank you that you go before us. You came before us to pave our way here. You were going before us to make your name great in our communities, in Swannanoa and in Black Mountain, in Asheville and everywhere else. We ask only, Father, that you would help us to be willing, help us to be willing participants. Thank you, Jesus, for your faithfulness. Thank you, Jesus, for your love. May we be saturated in it now, to the glory of your name, amen.